Hi, everybody. It's Al Sally, and we're very pleased to have Chris Harrington join us today. And we're going to talk about our third episode on behavior modification, and this is called perception and interpretation. So, Chris, thank you for joining, and I will hand it over to you. How, how are you doing today? Hey, Sal, I'm doing pretty good. I had a relaxing day off, taking care of some remote work for my job, but otherwise it's pretty relaxing. Awesome. Well, we're really excited to have you here, and we've done a number of these, and today we're going to delve deeper into it. So I will hand it over to you, Chris, and let's get started. Very well, sir. Thank you. Behavior modification. Perception and interpretation. Not long ago, we talked about perception and interpretation as it has to do with behavior modification. Uh, it's a part of a process. It's These are two parts of a four-part process. Well, what we're looking at really is, is the circumstances in life are inevitable. They're going to be positive. They're going to be negative. There are going to be some things that we're going to enjoy, some things we're not going to enjoy, some things that are going to create a lot of feelings and emotions possibly within us, good and bad. And um, perception and interpretation, is, a, as I said before, is, is the first two sections of the responses to that we have to any given circumstance in our life. Basically, the environment around us, whether it's created, that we have nothing to do that we have nothing, um, uh, no responsibility toward. Sometimes we create our own uh, circumstances and we have to deal with the consequences. Nonetheless, it creates all kinds of different emotions and, and, uh, and uh, uh, behaviors. But what we want to talk about is the perception and interpretation aspect of this process and how we can get a God-centered perception and interpretation, because that's what really what we're looking for in behavior modification, is we want to do what is going to glorify God ultimately. We don't want to do what's going to, you know, benefit ourselves and, uh, in, you know, in a long run or uh, reduce some kind of an outcome that is favorable to us. Um, we want to do something. We want to do what God wants us to do. And therefore, guaranteeing the promises, which we're going to talk about at the end of this video. So, perception and interpretation. Initially, I wanted to just deal with perception by itself to be independent of which perception is. It's independent in and of itself. We perceive things throughout the throughout the day, and we're going to look at a couple of different slides. And even this one that we have here, this photo that we have here to the right, we're going to be talking about this and other slides of uh, and, and discuss our perception. So it's independent in and of itself, but if you really think about it, perception and interpretation are inseparable. They always go together. When I was studying this. As I said, I wanted to do perception by itself, but I couldn't get I couldn't get past the inseparability of perception and interpretation. You can't really have an interpretation without a perception. You can't even have a perception without an interpretation. They go together, and so I wanted to uh, address them both as an independent factor, 
but also as one that's inseparable. Perception and interpretation is really important because it creates an, an identity for us, and we don't even know it. Different things that we're going to talk about later about social social affairs in our life, uh, where we go to school, where we go to church, what our parents are like, what our friends are like, all these different aspects help create our identity because of the perception and interpretation of how we address those issues or those relationships, uh, whether it be uh, human relationships or circumstantial relationships in our life. They're the what creates the identity within us, an identity that is uh, visible to other people. Now, I don't want to get on this bandwagon about I want to look good for other people, although it's normal. It's a normal behavior that we have is to want to look favorable in the eyes of others. However, what I would really want to focus on is building an identity that honors God and, and, and honors the wisdom of God, which we're going to talk about also. It builds our character, how we see things. What kind of decisions do we make? Do we seek advice? Do we seek counsel in our decisions? Are we going to go just off the cuff with every perception and, and interpretation of our own? Or are we going to seek a better way of understanding what's going on in my life and how can I bring glory to God? Basically, the perception and interpretation defines us. In addition to the activities that follow perception and interpretation, which we'll talk about in the next video, which are attitude and behavior. But for the sake of this, perception and interpretation, it defines us. It is what helps us develop our, self, our character, and it defines us not only to ourselves, but also to other people. If I have a strong Christian uh, support system, that's going to define me. And how I perceive and interpret that re that re those relationships are going to define me in my in my development years and uh, into my adult years. So this de the definition is really important on how we perceive and interpret uh, ourselves and in the world around us. And the perception and interpretation is very diverse. Take a look at this picture to the right. Here we have a gentleman looking through two different scopes. They're probably uh, scopes from for a camera, uh, uh, lenses, and each in each perspective. In this one perspective, we're looking at a man with that's looking obviously in our direction, and I'm absolutely certain because of what we see, his vision and his per perception and interpretation are two different things through each lens in a single picture, and so the diversity of our perception and interpretation is widespread. It's widespread. Depends on through what glass we're looking through, whether it be to the left or to the right. One that's good or one that's bad. One that's of God, one that's not of God. One that's of self-will, one that's of God's will. It all depends. It's a very diverse. It all really de depends on the picture of what you're looking through. It's different even though it's the same thing, 
through both looking, looking glasses, but they're different. That so even Chris, though we, yeah. yes, sir. I had a quick question here. Sure. So when you're or anybody's trying to get rid of or modify the behavior for to try and get rid of a bad habit, we tend to perceive things differently from what they are in terms of reality. And many times we tend to deny that we have a problem. Uh, have you come across that, that? That's a common thing that people say, oh, no, it's okay. I don't have any issues because our perception is that it's not a big issue because it's different to reality. Yes, it's really based on the reality or perception that they have. I'll, let me give an example, personal example. I was a drug addict for 20 years. I knew I had a drug problem, but I was fine with it. Everybody else, I, you know, when I would steal from people, when I would uh, lie to people, when I, you know, all these different behaviors that developed out of my drug addiction, I knew I had a drug addiction, but I, I wasn't ready to face the addiction because I was in what's, what they call in, in the rooms of uh, the 12-step rooms, is I was in denial. I was in denial about the reality of my circumstances. There's two things that I've learned that happen with drug addicts like myself when they start using drugs. They lose their spirituality, if they had any real spirituality, and they lose their perception of reality. It becomes distorted. It becomes... Um, uh, Looking, looking through a, a, a looking glass that is hazy or foggy, but it's not—it's not the real picture. It's, it's, it's just clouded by all, by all our own self feelings, emotions, um, and we uh, tend not to want to listen to other people when they bring about our character defects uh, in these kind of ways. So yes, absolutely. Um, this happens, and this is part of the, the character building and the self-definition that we go through over the course of our lives, uh, depending on really uh, what you want to listen to. You want to listen to something that is wisdom, or do you want to listen to something that is destructive? And oftentimes, more often than not, the destruction is usually something that feels good, you know? Um, I, I kept doing drugs because it made me feel good. But really, the reality was it made me feel miserable. I just never accepted that because of all the consequences that I always had to face. I wasn't I wasn't paying attention to the consequence. But one thing about be, bad uh, negative behavior is it knows no consequence. It doesn't concern itself with consequence. And so it's a it's a it's a battle to be able to get to that point where we can actually look like this gentleman through two different looking glasses and understand that we're looking at it through a very diverse way and we need to bring that uh, diversity um, to, uh, to a better understanding for ourselves and how we move forward from that point. Very good. Yes, thank you. Perception. Uh oh. I think I just am I muted? Yeah, you're good. Okay, good. I can see it. Yeah. Okay, good. Trying to move this down a little bit. Okay. Perception. There's a definition for perception in the 
Merriam-Webster defines perception as an awareness of the elements of an environment through a physical sensation such as sight, smell, touch, hearing, and taste are the primary contributors of one's perception. Um, sight, these things, these these sense, these sensitivities uh, or the uh, sensations that we have, sight, smell, touch, hearing, and taste, really kind of define a lot of how we perceive things. However, there's a, a danger to that. And it goes, think about it this way. Have you ever smelled something or tasted that tasted like something else? Or perhaps like seeing a mirage in a desert? It looks like water in a desert, but it's not. It's actually the heat radiating off of the ground, but it looks like water. The deception of perceiving and interpretation through the senses could be detrimental. Our senses can deceive us or they can protect us. It really is a matter of perspective on how we how we deal with um, perception and, and interpretation. Uh, they can create uh, some problems for us in our life if we're not careful, if our, if our um, thoughts and attitudes are not God-centered, they can really create a lot of problems. Interpretation, on the other hand, Merriam-Webster interp defines interpretation as an ex explanation. The root interpret pertains to meaning-making, to construe or understand. In essence, how we make sense of the environment around us. Now, this is not an exhaustive... Social constructs or ideologies shape our interpretation of the world around us. Religion, social status, social influences such as media, education, <laughs> parents, personal experiences, peer relations, all contribute to or assist in the development of our individualized interpretation. However, this is not an exhaustive list. Look at this picture below, and we see the Mansfield Dam in this picture below. <coughs> I could take a group of people. Where this picture was taken from was a bridge crossing over the water. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I could take a group of people, and I can um, ask them to tell me what they perceive or what do they interpret from this picture. Some people might talk about the bridge that's crossing over the water, the large, the tall bridge. Some people might talk about the dam in the background. Some people might talk about the trees to the right side or the, the, the low-lying vegetation on the left side of the bank. Some might talk about the water, the ripples, the, the smoothness of the water. Some might even go so far as to talk about the picnic benches. Perception and interpretation, as we said before, is, is diverse. It all applies to different people at different, depending on what they see. So let's talk about some of these common problems that we have. Give me a second. Misconceptions. Mis mistaken belief or false idea. For example, people will think they are right about something based on human wisdom. They think that they're right. They think that they're right just because of uh, their own perception and interpretation of things. 
different things that they've experienced in the cor- over the course of their life, but their misconception is based on, on wisdom that is of man. What the Bible says about that is in 1 Corinthians 3.19, one of which says, For the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. The foolish, the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. What this really says is that God is looking at us. He's perceiving what's going on. And he says the wisdom is foolish. The wisdom of man is foolish. Now, does that mean all wisdom is foolish? Absolutely not. In Proverbs chapter 8, I think it's in uh, chapter uh, verses 10 and 11, it talks about wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God. He says it's more valuable than all the jewels that you could have. And so we see a difference, a, a contrast between human wisdom and godly wisdom. Wisdom that is good is godly wisdom, and we should seek after these things so that we can minimize our misconceptions about the world around us. Misinterpretation. Eve, Eve in the Garden of Eden failed to interpret God's word correctly. Mankind has been doing this ever since. What the scripture says in Genesis chapter 3, uh, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Part of that statement is true. The other part part of it is a misinterpretation. God did say, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He didn't say, don't touch it. This is something that she added on on her own. She misinterpreted, misrepresented God's word. And we still do this today. Many, many times over and over and over, even with the scriptures, we still do this today. We misinterpret uh, God's word, misrepresent it. And um, that in and of itself, I don't believe is a sin, because if that was a sin, that actually took place prior to even Adam eating from the fruit of the tree. So their eyes were not opened at that moment. So I don't think that misinterpretation or misrepresentation is necessarily a sin, but it's definitely not a very good thing. So we should take a look at always take a look at scripture in the way that uh, it is presented um, and use use the tools that we have uh, concordances, um, uh, Strong's Greek and Hebrew translations, um, different authors' uh, perspectives or insights on different things, and then weigh everything out as we should. Truth versus a lie. This is another common problem. We get caught up in what's the truth and what's a lie, especially nowadays. Man, I don't know. I don't even watch the media anymore. I don't even watch the news because I don't know what to believe anymore. Um, I can't tell the difference between a truth and a lie because it seems like everybody's just trying to justify their own agenda with their own words. And it's 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 terrible. Just because somebody said something doesn't mean it's true. Ecclesiastes 7.21 says, Do not pay attention to every word that is spoken, or you may hear your servant cursing you. So do not, do not listen to everything that people say to you. Listen, it's don't believe it. It's not necessary. It may, it may be the truth. It may not be the truth. But don't put your money on the things that people say to you. The only absolute that we have to reference is God's word. The John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, 
in the beginning, God created, or in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. I wonder, as I, I ask myself, well, all of a sudden, we're talking about God, we're talking about the Word, we're talking about God is the Word, and all of a sudden they introduce this third person saying, He, who's He? Well, we go down in verse 14, and it says, The Word became flesh. God became flesh. The Word became flesh and lived among us for a while. And we have seen his glory. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus became, the word became Jesus. Jesus is the word. And so this is an absolute that we have. God's not going to present something to us that is wrong. God's going to always present the truth. Acts chapter 17, verse 11 is another favorite verse of mine. It talks about two different nations of people, groups of people, the Bereans and the Thessalonians. It says, now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they received the word of God with great eagerness and earnestly sought the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The Apostle Paul, are you kidding me? The, one of the most dynamic men in the Bible in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, the Bereans said, hey, just because he's the Apostle Paul doesn't mean he's telling us what's true. Let's search the scriptures to see if what he is saying is true based on what God's word says. And so this is where we uh, we say, don't, don't listen to your pastor just because he's your pastor. I was at a church not long ago, and he made a comment from the pulpit that was just outrageous. I couldn't believe it. It totally, it totally discounted the word of God and gave power of an organization over the word of God and gave authority to them over the word of God. I was appalled. I never went back to that church. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, because I knew that what he said was, not true according to what the word says. So we got to we got to be when our, when our perception and our interpretation. We got to think about the misconceptions, the misinterpretation, misrepresentations. What's the truth? What's the lie? And the cultural context of what's being said. Let's see. Cultural has a deep impact on a personal interpretation especially regarding um I can't read that down there especially regarding communication first Timothy 2:15 says women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith love and holiness with self-control did you hear what that says it says women will be saved through childbearing well, this is, that's crazy. That is the only way women can get saved. Men will get saved just fine, just by their faith. But it says here that women will get saved through childbearing. Even in Scripture, we can see that there's something that's wrong. There's something that's not gelling right. There's a contradiction in this in this verse that says, hey, men are okay, but women are not. Women got to have babies. And if you're not going to have a baby, then you're not going to get saved. That's not what this is saying. There's a cultural context of what was being said and to whom it was being said that they that, that if you don't know this particular verse and the context, the cultural context, then you'd be lost in this verse just like everybody. You give you put the word of God down as as contradictory and you would never pick it up again. That's detrimental to a, a strong relationship with God is to know the cultural context of what you're reading to help you with understanding.
perspective. Five different people witness an accident, let's say. Each people, uh, the police receive five different interpretations. Each witness vantage point is seen from a different perspective. This does not mean they are wrong, just different. The police need to gather the information and interpret the overall picture. First Thessalonians 5.21 talks about, hey, you got to test everything. You got to make sense of it. You got to test it to see what is right to what is wrong. This is what it has, has to happen. All five of these people saw the same accident, but yet they're given a different interpretation because they perceived it from a different perspective. That doesn't mean anybody's wrong. It doesn't mean everybody's right. It just means that the police have to take all that information into account and then come up with a solution of the uh, the accident or an interpretation of the accident based on the, the eyewitness testimony. So these things are common problems with regard to perception and interpretation. This misconceptions, misinterpretation, truth versus lie, cultural contact, and our own perspective on things. I want you to look at this picture for a moment. There's some self-evident truths. Look at this picture at the bottom. On the left-hand side, we've got a garbage truck lifting up a, a, a residential garbage can, uh, and it's going to dump it into the trash compactor. On the right, however, we got a large truck that's emptying all of the garbage. Okay? Now, garbage in, garbage out is a self-evident truth. We've all heard it before, haven't we? We've all heard this statement before. Garbage in, garbage out. What that says is you allow garbage to come in untruthful, misinterpreted, uh, selfish information from people or circumstances or life experiences that's, that's outright garbage. Garbage in, garbage out. What we take in is what's going to come out of us. Now, think about these two pictures down below. Okay, look at them. Now, did all of that garbage in that little blue trash can go into that go into that trash compactor? Do you think that it actually produced all that garbage? Well, absolutely not. That makes sense, right? All that garbage in the right picture came through a collection of a lot of people's garbage. This is exactly the same principle. Everybody's garbage that comes in, it may be initially the size of this trash can for each given circumstance, but in the outcome, it's going to look like this garbage can truck on the right when all this garbage is coming out. Garbage in, garbage out. It collects over time, and boy, does it stink. You reap what you sow. We've heard this one before, too. You reap what you sow. Listen, if you want to be a loving person, then you're going to get love. If you're going to be a hateful person, you're going to you're going to sow love. You you know what you put out is what you're going to get back. You reap what you sow. If you sow discord, 
among your friends, family, then you're going to get discord back. You're going to get division. You're going to get dissension. You're going to get all these evil, wicked things that are coming back. But on the flip side, if you sow the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, if you sow these things, then you're going to sow, you're going to reap that back. You're going to sow a harvest of, it's just like sowing corn. You sow one seed and you get a many corn uh, in return. You're going to get what you get, you're going to get what you put out. Bad company corrupts good character. We've heard that before. Listen to this statement. Bad company corrupts good character. Everybody focuses on the bad company part. But listen, the good, the good character was there first. Good character was there first. If you hang out with the wrong people, your good character, my good character, is going to get corrupted by the bad company that I hang out with. I was already a good person. I was already living a righteous lifestyle, but yet I allowed the bad to infiltrate into my ranks. And therefore, I ended up becoming a bad person. This is common for everybody. It happens with everybody. Overcoming is not inevitable. Listen, everybody wants to overcome different things in their life. For myself, I wanted to overcome an addiction. That was the main thing I wanted to overcome was an addiction. But in overcoming that, it required of me much attention to the issues of my addiction. My addiction was not just the fact that I smoked crack cocaine for 20 years or methamphetamines or drank alcohol. My addiction was a lot more than that. So just stopping the, the drugs and the alcohol was one thing, but yet addiction comes with a whole bunch of behavioral issues that I didn't realize initially that I had to overcome in the in a long term, things that I'm even still working on today. Overcoming is not inevitable. You have to work at it. Absolutely have to work at it. Reject defilement. Listen, there's a lot of there's a lot of garbage out there. There's a lot of bad company. We got to learn to be have our perspective and our interpretation of things or, or the circumstances around us in, to, in such a way that we reject the things that will cause harm. And this is one of the reasons why I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God because I I didn't know the difference between wisdom, man's godly wisdom, and, and human wisdom. I didn't know the difference between those things until I read it in the Word of God. And then if my mind was open, my eyes were open, and I was able to hear and then put into practice those things that that were uh, affected. Since since then, when I first learned that, I knew that there was a difference between godly wisdom and, and worldly wisdom. I wanted to learn what worldly wisdom was, but I also wanted to learn what godly wisdom was. I wanted to be able to learn what the bad was so I could reject it, but I also wanted to learn what the good was so I could accept it and welcome it in. And I had to learn this. This is a part of the process. So reject defilement, but also accept goodness. How is this done? Well, the Bible says, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, is a popular verse. You even mentioned it in a, at the tail end of our last uh, video. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And God 
will make your path straight. This is an amazing promise, but it's a promise with requirement. Let's take a look at it. An overview of that verse, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust. The command of trust presupposes that we do not trust. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, let me ask you, do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? All the time? <laughs> yeah, me either. I don't either. And this is something that I'm working towards. I'm working towards becoming like Christ to be able to do this at all times. I'll never attain to perfection, but the perfection is not the goal. Okay? I just I just want to be better than I was the day before. I just want to bring glory to God in a changed behavior. In order to do this, I have to have trust. And the first part of the trust is recognize that I don't have any. In some areas, I have more than others. I have to be able to be honest about these things. Trust in the who. Trust in the Lord, it says. This statement, interesting about this statement, notice it doesn't have my name in there. It doesn't say trust in Chris with all your heart. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? Oh, my gosh, that would be terrible. It says this statement does not mention my name. It mentions the Lord. It means that I have to trust in him. I mean, it doesn't have Sally's name in there either. Sally's, your name's not in there. I have to trust in the Lord. It doesn't say trust in your pastor, trust in your teachers. You know, you should just, you should trust them in so much as what they teach you and relying that what they teach you is true, but always check your references to make sure whatever they teach you is true. But the trust really comes from the Lord, establishing yourself in him. These things are all important for our, our perception and our interpretation of things and the, the making sense in the world around us, especially when it comes to self-reliance. Oh, my goodness. Self-reliance. How many times do you rely on yourself? I heard a story not long ago of a guy who was running around the city and he's late for a, a really important meeting and he couldn't find a parking space. So he prayed and he prayed, Oh Lord, please help me find a parking space. Oh Lord, please help me find a parking place. He was going around in the blocks and around the block and around and around. And he kept praying, help me Lord find a parking space. Finally, a parking space appeared and he says, never mind Lord. I found one. <laughs> Isn't this the epitome of self-reliance? You sit there and beg God for something, and then when you when you finally get it, then you take credit for yourself. Self-reliance. Your understanding, your understanding, while it seems right, may not be the way of the Lord. Listen, have you ever heard the statement, uh, oh, I had good intentions? Everybody says it. I had good intentions. Yeah, but every good intention is not a God intention. We have to align ourselves with God's intentions, God's will for our lives, God's wisdom, God's knowledge and understanding, God's plan for us. We need to gain his understanding, not our own. And we need to do it with all our heart. Straight path. A crooked path expends more energy. Listen. I want you to work smarter. I don't want you to work harder. When I used to work in the restaurant business, there's a there's a, a phrase that we used to use that said uh, consolidate consolidate your steps. What that what that meant was when I'm going out to a, a table and I notice that one table asked me for some more water or I see that the water glasses are empty, so I keep a mental note. 
Another table wants some ketchup. A third table wants some more coffee. Instead of going back three times to the kitchen and three times to the tables, I do that all in one step. Taking a, taking the, the righteous path, taking the path of least resistance, working smarter, not harder. A crooked path expends more energy. A straight path makes it much easier for us to follow. Work smarter, not harder. You had a comment? Yeah, so that's a great point, Chris. Can you give an example of how you took a crooked path instead of the straight path on your road to recovery? Well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. Um, pretty much every decision uh, was bad that I made during my addiction. However, um, I, I, I can't say that I took a crooked path. Um, I'd like to give a testimony of actually one time when I trusted in the Lord to lead me on a straight path. I was in Las Vegas. I just finished my bachelor's degree in psychology and sociology, and I didn't really find a future in Las Vegas. So I asked the Lord, which, what, 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 what should I do? And he said, go to Florida. And I've said this before in another video, what that really interpreted to is go to Florida and turn yourself in from a 20 year old felony fugitive warrant. I needed a straight path. I didn't know which path to take. There's like, you know, I was, I was at a, at a, a cross. I, I'd like to say a crossroads, but really there wasn't even a crossroad. There wasn't even any path before me. I had absolutely no, which, no idea of which way to go until I asked God, which way should I go? And he says, go to Florida. And I knew exactly what he meant. I didn't have to ask him for any wisdom on what he meant. I knew exactly because I knew the burden that I was carrying for 20 years was this felony fugitive warrant. I trusted God and I ended up going. And uh, one of the things that the scriptures that he gave me is uh, one of my favorite ones, Ecclesiastes 7, 8. I've said this before. We actually had a, a lesson on it. Uh, the end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. I had to learn to be patient in the circumstances of my life. The end of the matter was God's business. The, what was my business was the process between the beginning of the matter and the end of the matter. It didn't say that everything was going to be hunky-dory or roses or exactly the way I wanted. It just said it was going to be better. But I had to trust God with the process in the middle between where I was and where God wanted to take me at the end of the matter. And this is where I had to really trust in God to lead me along a straight path, to let not lean on my own understanding, to trust in him and to trust in the way that he said to, for me to go. As it turns out, it was an amazing trip. And then there's more blessings that piled upon blessings, piled upon blessings as a result of me following that path. I, my path was made straight. It wasn't clear. I'll tell you what, I did not know sometimes from day to day what I was going to be doing the next day. Uh, but God always provided uh, for me to be patient, be patient with my circumstances, be patient with myself, be patient with other people, be patient with God. And then it, it, it turns out. Now, I got to ask you, was there a part of you that felt that given what it meant when you were to go back to Florida that there was there was there a part of you which said no no don't do that because you're gonna get arrested and you're gonna go to jail then was there a part of you which 
which tempted you not to do that? And how did you overcome that and follow the path, the straight path? Well, it really was it really was a no-brainer for me to to follow God's will from my life at that time. There I I didn't really have any other way to go. I really didn't have any other way to go. And so there wasn't much of a temptation uh to to proceed. Matter of fact, I even called my dad. I said, Hey, I need some help. He thought I was in trouble. I said, No, I'm gonna I'm going to fix that felony fusion warrant back in Tallahassee. I need I just needed some help uh in the process. He thought I was crazy. I was looking to go to jail. I was looking for two and a half to five years in prison. And of course, the temptation, like you say, it could have been there. Now, I'm not saying that it's not going to be there for some people. It just wasn't there for me. Had I had another option, I I guarantee you, I probably would have been thinking about it, especially after the attorney said, you're looking at two and a half to five years in prison. I'm telling you, I knew that before I left Las Vegas. I knew that. Before I left, and I still went anyway. Really, I went because there was no other option. All I had was what God gave me. But like I said, if there was another option, I probably would have taken it. I probably would have taken it because nobody wants to go to jail. You know, yeah, I, yeah. So, so you know, and, and that's amazing what happened with you and how things worked out, but. You know, many times people do have another option. They can continue doing the, the 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 behavior and the wrong habit that they have because they feel that it's okay, right? Whatever right. that is. Yeah. So how do you what advice would you give to people who feel that what they're doing is not wrong and they continue doing that instead of making the change, modifying the behavior, and getting rid of the addiction, right? The Word of God says that uh, if you follow man's wisdom, then the wisdom of God is not in you, and you're not of God. You're not one of his children. And that's a pretty harsh statement to make. People that people that don't want to follow God's Word, God's ways, are more than likely not his children. I'm not the judge on those things. God is the judge on those things. But I'll tell you what, I, I do know a tree that's bearing bad fruit because it's got bad fruit on it. And so just like Jesus said, hey, this is a bad tree, you know, don't eat from it. But um, the, the attitude that people have cannot be changed by by myself or by other people. You know, I I... I Profess to be a behavior uh, modification specialist. Um, listen, I can't change people. I can only point them in the right direction. If they're willing to come to me and they're willing to seek counsel, then it's up to them to follow the advice that I have for them. Um, and I don't burden myself if they choose not to follow that path. I don't burden myself with it because I'm not responsible for their actions. I'm only responsible for the direction that I give to them. Now, if they don't, if they choose not to follow God's way, there's nothing that can be done for them. Only right. God, can, right. only God can change that path in in the long run. And He may or He may not. You know, it took 20 years for Him to get my attention. 20 years. Yeah, that's a many, that's a long time. That's a long time, and many people along the way are trying trying to get my attention. I wouldn't listen. 
But when it was finally time, I did listen and God accepted me. This is the beauty of it. We can make our mistakes for extended periods of time. God will still take you back. As long as the breath is in your lungs, God will still administer grace upon you, welcome you into his family, and then continue to transform you from that point forward as you move forward. And this is the beauty of behavior modification is that I'm not in this alone. I got God. I've got friends like you, other friends at church. I've got my wife. She's a big time. She she tells me sometimes that things that I need to hear. I don't want to hear it, but she does. Uh, I've got all, all of this wealth of relationships around me that help me stay on this path that God has for me. And uh, I choose to live that, that lifestyle now. I choose to listen. I'll tell you what, there's some things that, that have been said to, by mentors of mine. I did not want to listen to. I didn't want to hear it because it required a behavior change and I wasn't willing to give it up. One instance, I had a problem with a girlfriend. My, I told him what the Lord told me, and then he just told me, he says, break up with her now. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't want to, man. I was getting sex from this girl, and she was really hot. I lusted after this woman for a long time, and I finally had her, and, 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 and she's an Asian woman, my favorite. Oh, my gosh. It was just crazy. But, the, but my mentor says, break up with her now today. And boy, I tell you, I didn't want to do it, but I did. And the reward came. But there are times, there are times, even when I'm following, even when I'm doing what I want to do, that God gives me some direction. I don't really want to follow, but I end up, I end up doing it. I end up doing it. Got it. Got it. Thank you. That's a great so, point. Going forward, there's some key aspects about behavior modification with regard to your perception and interpretation. We talked about this list before in one of the other videos. Behavior modification requires, what does it be require of you? Number one, first and foremost, honest self-evaluation. We have to be able to take a look in the mirror and say, you know what, your hair doesn't look really good today. Or, you know, that shirt doesn't really match what you're wearing, the pants or shoes. You should, you should, you should fix that. Or maybe, you know what, this kind of characteristic about your behaviors not really suitable for you. It's not really giving me the glory, you know, what God says. So I have to be honest about my, my self-evaluation. Once I'm honest about myself, then I need to have the willingness to change. Listen, nobody's going to change until they're willing. Nobody's gonna, God's not going to do it. God's not going to change me. My wife's not going to change me. My pastor's not going to change me. My mentors, as close as they were and, and as amazingly godly as they were, they couldn't change me. I had to be willing to change first. When I was willing to change, then I was able to set up the third part of this behavior modification process and set up an action plan. I had to set before me what I was going to do. I had to take the things of this, of my life, and I said, okay, I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to... Uh, fan into flame those other things that are good. I'm going to get rid of these things that are terrible. I'm going to set an action plan for myself. For me personally, my action plan was to replace the addiction with something positive. I started going to school eight months after I started. I got clean and sober. I started going to school. I've been going to school ever since. I've almost finished my doctorate degree. I've been going to school for the whole time I've been sober, 18 and a half years, almost 19 years in Jan in January, 19 years. Um, but I had to follow that action plan. 
And then what's really important, I had to make implementation of change behaviors. I had to not only follow that action plan, but I had to put implement these change behaviors, these things that I had to change about myself. Some of these thoughts come much later, like recently, I've, I learned that I had a really bad temper. But I think in hindsight, I knew all my life that I'd had a bad temper. I just never faced it until recently when it caused problems with my marriage. So I, I, I wanted to stop these behaviors first and foremost because the behaviors didn't glorify God. It definitely didn't edify my wife. It definitely didn't edify my marriage. And it made me feel like a schmuck every time I did something stupid with my anger. So these things had to change for these very reasons. First and foremost was to give God glory. Had to be first. I had to make that change in my life. And then I had to start thinking about different things, why I get angry and, you know, what is it that she does or that this does that, that triggers my anger? And then recognize those things so that when they do come up in the future, say, whoa, back up, hold on, slow down. I need to implement change behaviors because these red flags around me are flying and I need to pay attention to them. So these are some key aspects with regard to our uh, perception and interpretation of our life. We need to be honest in our self-evaluation, willingness to change, take an action plan, and implement the changes that are necessary for our behavior. Insights that we have, let me give you a couple of insights that I thought of at the end. Fear of the unknown creates a dependence on our finite understanding. Listen, our understanding is limited. We're human. God's understanding is infinite because he's God. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, and he's everywhere all at one time. I mean, he's a full embodiment of holiness. Listen, I'm not that guy, okay? I may be a little bit wise in this and that and other things, but listen— all of what I have is not from me. It's from the God that I serve through the experiences that I've I've endured and the, the lessons that I've learned over the course of time. But fear of what is ahead of me, okay, when I look at a circumstance and then the perception and interpretation is creates fear in me, what we're going to talk about in our next video, uh, it creates a, a, a dependence on my own understanding. And this is really a dangerous place for me to be. Another one, a treacherous path may inhibit a commitment to pursue the challenges of life. You know, when I'm sitting there and I knew I got a path before me that's kind of treacherous, mountainous maybe. Listen, I'm 57 years old. I, I used to love hiking up mountains, passes when I was younger. I don't have it, the physical stamina in me anymore. Now, if I train myself, I'm sure I could probably do it. But that takes a lot of requirement. Knowing that I have a full path, it, it, it inhibits, it prevents me from pursuing after those challenges, like climbing a mountain. The same thing is true with life. If we perceive the, percept, or perceive the road before us as too treacherous, it may inhibit our our percept or our desire to pursue uh, those challenges in our life, and then we become stagnant. It's laid back. It's like this: if I if I have standards in my life and I only set this standard, I will never rise above that standard because that's the standard that I live. But if I if I raise the standards of my life up higher, 
then little by little, I can continue to pursue after those standards. And I still have more and more ability to go higher and higher and higher. I'm not looking at the, the distance or the challenges ahead of me uh, or the difficulty of those paths. I'm just, just, I'm just going. But if I don't, then I'm just going to stay down here and my standards will remain. But if I get here, I can get here. And then once I reach this point, then I can raise the standards even further. Impatient with God's timing produces irrational and untimely decisions. Listen, this is why it says, God says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8, says the, the, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. And patience is better than time. As I said before, the process between the end of the matter or the beginning of the matter and the end of the matter, this process here, the process of life, is a process that we need to be patient about. Okay? Because when we're not patient with God's timing in this process, then we start developing our own ways, our own thinking, uh, irrational and untimely decisions. We, we do quick decisions that are get us in, in more trouble than we were before. It's a, it's a terrible situation for us to perceive ourselves or our circumstances in our own eyes. We need to learn to perceive our circumstances through God's eyes, be patient in the process, and watch what God does in our lives as a result. Now, the promise. Remember, the scripture says, the scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. God will do the rest. God will do the rest. There's a requirement for us. It's really in this verse. says we've got to trust in him with all our heart. Lean not under understanding. That's our requirements. We have to do these things. And after that, God will do the rest. He promises so. How is this? Look. He will honor your trust. If you trust God, he will honor your trust and he will bless you as a result. He will provide you strength. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Listen, sometimes I don't have it. Sometimes I don't have it. I have to trust in the power and strength that God gives me through his spirit to be able to do that. God will provide the strength. I have to trust him with it. He will give you understanding. This, this presupposes that I don't have understanding. And oftentimes I don't. I don't understand. Sometimes I do because I know what the, God's word says or God will remind me what the word says. And then I'll gain that understanding. But really in and of myself, I don't have understanding. So I have to seek after that understanding. And then he will provide it every time. Especially, especially if you do it through the word of God. Number one, you do it through the seeking of counsel. Number two, you do, do it through prayer. Number three, trust in the Holy Spirit to guide you and to lead you along these paths. He will show the way. Let me tell you something. God will show you the way. But you have to ask him for the direction. He's not just going to sit there and go against your will. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to ask him. You know, what is the way, way to go? When I was, after I finished college, I didn't know what to do. I had another situation. I had to go get custody of my kids. I didn't know how to deal with some of the circumstances that I was going to face. And so God gave me quite clear uh, scriptural uh, support 
with how to deal with this situation. I trusted him in a situation and everything worked out just as God had intended. But he had to show me the way. I didn't know the way to go. He had to show me, but I followed it. I trusted him and I went and he showed me the way. As a result, he straightened my path. Listen, this pre again, this presupposes that I'm probably on a path that is not straight. It's probably rocky. It's probably muddy. It's probably been uh, overcome with rain and very slippery and treacherous. Listen, I want to be able to have a path that's paved before me. You know what I mean? I really want to le learn to walk on a straight path. God will provide this for me, but I got to ask him. I've got to seek for seek after it. And listen, he does all this so that you can go on unhindered. What does unhindered mean? It means not tainted by your own faulty ways, by your own faulty perceptions and interpretations. He'll guide you along the way, unhindered from your own abilities. And this is where I will close. This is what I desire. Our next lesson, we're going to be talking about behavior modification attitude and behavior, specifically attitude and behavior, how these two play a role in our life and our behaviors ultimately, and how we can take a take a look at them in the, the eyes of God, in the eyes of scripture, and make the necessary changes so that we can live a life that is fruitful for his glory and for our, our peace. Thank you for your time. Do you have any questions? Thank you, Chris. Thank you. That was very helpful. I really appreciate it. And I hope our listeners and viewers have got a lot of value from this. It's not easy, but you have shown the path that even though it's difficult, do the right thing. Be a child of God and you can make amends no matter how long it has been or how difficult it is. There's always time to make it, turn it around and go forward. Absolutely. God's love never changes. We change. God's love never changes. It's the same today and tomorrow. Grace and mercy are there for us every day. Full, full abundant supply of grace and mercy for us every single day. Not that we should take advantage of that, but we should recognize it and say, you know what? I made my mistake. I'm going to move forward from this and, and uh, enjoy God's goodness. And he'll provide the path for us. And Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chris. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, you take care, much. okay? And I for any other you. questions, people, please reach out to us. Send me an email at coach at maximizeyou.life or visit us at www.maximizeyou.life. And as you know, we're all about helping individuals maximize potential and lead a more balanced, happier, and fulfilled life. So thank you all. We'll thank upload you. the video and the contents. Take care, Chris. Appreciate take it. Care. Have a good evening, Tom. You too.